oxytocin. What is that? That's the love hormone. That's the sex hormone. And that's one we'll be talking about when we get into our programs on longevity and anti-aging. Yes, there are supplements you can take, but an attitude of gratitude will get you there also. This program contains general medical information. The medical information heard on this program is not advice and should not be treated as such. The information is not intended or implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should never delay seeking medical advice, disregard medical advice, or discontinue medical treatment. Because of information heard on this program, you are encouraged to confirm any information obtained from this program with other sources and review all information regarding any medical condition or treatment with your physician. So let's just start out the program with your diet. You know something about that, ladies and gentlemen? Your diet is not only what you eat. It is what you watch. It is what you listen to. It is what you read. The people you hang around. So please be mindful of the things you put into your body emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So tonight, we're going to talk about that CAT scan that I told you about last week. And we will also have a guest tonight, uh, Frank Poliafko, who has an interesting program about drinking alcohol and just how to say no, no being spelled K-N-O-W. It's a program that he has presented many times with great reviews. So when um, Frank Poliafko uh, comes on the program, we'll, we'll introduce him and uh, what, a, what a great program that he has together for, for you. So remember what I told you last week, 330,000 deaths a year, 6.6 million hospitalizations per year, 
and 80 million medically minor problems per year, all from correctly prescribed medications. So that's what keeps you coming back here every week so that you have some access to this information and that you can use this information for yourself and for your loved ones. Really important because you're not going to hear this any other place. And I'm, I'm sure everybody's getting wake is waking up to the fact that our modern medicine has become a major cause of preventable death worldwide. Medical errors, side effects to unnecessary surgeries and adverse reactions to correctly prescribed pharmaceuticals are the primary reason for this. It's been called the hidden epidemic of side effects. I mean, because nobody is talking about it. What you see on television is smoke and mirrors. So there is a solution. At the end of the program, I'll give you four important questions to ask but we have to stay away from unnecessary prescription and over-the-counter drugs and use plant-based medication. An interesting fact is that you know how many people are killed by illicit drugs per year? 17,000. And guess what? The United States government spends nearly $50 billion, that's what it would be, every year to fight a war against illicit drugs in an effort to ameliorate this death toll. Yet, America's more deadly drug problem is from physicians, and it's continued to be ignored. So that's why uh, we bring you this program and bring you information that you can use. So last week I mentioned that there's a test out there that's done 85 million times a year. And guess what? This test could give you cancer. Do you think anybody's come out and and admitted that yet? In a rare moment of honesty, the mainstream medical establishment just fessed up to it, believe it or not, and they told the truth. They're giving you cancer, and it's not by accident, it's not unforeseen, and it's certainly not unexpected. When you blast millions of patients with high doses of radiation for endless, needless CAT scans, of course you're going to fry up some of those cells in the process. So it turns out that CAT scans are causing far more cancers than they ever will detect. That fact is the truth and was laid bare for the world to see in a new study. But if you've had a scan or two or more yourself, there is a way to protect your body and shield yourselves, shield yourselves and reverse that risk. So how, how does it give you cancer? Well, one study estimates 85 million per year, or about 10,000 scans for every hour of every day, including weekends and holidays. Let me repeat that. 10,000 CAT scans are done 
every hour of every day, including weekends and holidays. But some of those scans, don't, what do you think? It, they're not necessary. Like when you have some blood in your urine with no obvious cause. Well, it could be cancer, but that could be detected with a radiation-free ultrasound. There's just a, one problem, and we, we sort of talked about it last week with Dr. Powers. Ultrasounds are cheap. CAT scans are really profitable, really profitable. So it scans for everybody. This new study found that while CAT scan is slightly better than ultrasound at detecting urinary cancer, it will cause far more cancers than it will find. But that's been the story with this all along, with CAT scans being badly overused for nearly everything. One study found that CT or CAT scans done in a single year will lead to 29,000 cancers and extrapolated on close to 15,000 deaths. Since the deaths occur years later, the patient would never suspect that the scan was the cause of it. Okay, so don't break out into a sweat if you've only had one CAT scan. You could be at risk, but there are people that have multiple CAT scans. So what, what can you do? Well, I want to give you the bad news, but here's some good news. There's a supplement called alpha-lipoic acid. It has 8,000 times the antioxidant power of vitamin C, and it can block those free radicals that slams your cells as a result of radiation exposure. And there's another supplement that we don't talk a lot about on this program. It's a compound called N-acetylcysteine. You'll see it on bottles as N-A-C. And it also sweeps those free radicals right out of your body. So you want to be careful uh, not to have uh, too many CAT scans because they do cause cancer. And there's a whole program about mammographies and cancer. And we'll get into that another day. So while, while we're waiting uh, for Frank Polyafco to call in, I'll just let you know that, you know, medicine took a heck of a change around the uh, turn of the century, around 1910, when the Rockefellers put $100 million into getting rid of natural care. They got rid of homeopathy, plant-based medicine. They made sure that they were all attacked as illegitimate and quacks. And that's how John D. Rockefeller and the Carnegie Foundation started the AMA and started uh, shifting the, the treatment from healthy options uh, to they started their own medical schools, their own curriculums, so they could prescribe a pill for every ill. You know, there were 400 medical schools in the 19th century. By 1910... 148, by 1930, just 76. Isn't that incredible how they, they really just took away natural healing? So we've made a lot of progress. I'm not saying we should not have uh, allopathic medicine, uh, but, you know, they, we, it does take its toll, especially in, in today's world uh, with the physicians being so busy. 
and we just take too many prescriptions. Just like we talked about nurse practitioners last week, they they own, they have what four or five hundred hours of training, so it's easy for them just to write a prescription rather than get to the cause of the problem. There was a study in 2015 that I saw in JAMA, which is the Journal of the American Medical Association. It was titled Trends in Prescription Drug Use Among Adults. And the authors used data from the National Health Institute and so forth. And they found an increase of overall prescription use among U.S. adults between 1999 and 2012. 59% increase. Polypharmacy. What is polypharmacy? That's what a person is using five or more prescription drugs. Increased from 9% in 1999 to 15% in 2012. That's a 64% increase. And this drug use increased in, in particular drugs, those used to uh, lower cholesterol, antidepressants, and these proton pump inhibitors, which are called purple crack because once you get on them, it's really hard to get off. And this could first uh, direct to consumer advertising. These drug ads we all see on television and in print, we are only one of two countries that allow that. And studies have shown that marketing of drugs to consumers results in more prescriptions and greater profits for big pharmaceutical companies. Direct to consumer advertising. And this podcaster's opinion should be stopped. And we're seeing increases in drugs because of what we talked about, how doctors are educated, a pill for every ill. They were trained to make a diagnosis and prescribe a drug, not to get to the heart of the problem. But clearly, because we're not getting healthier, taking more drugs is, is not the answer. Okay, so uh, Mr. Polyafka hasn't called in, so I'll just give you an idea of what he was going to talk about because he had a really interesting program. Uh, the comments on the program were fantastic. Uh, like uh, Dr. Geller, a PhD from Virginia Tech, he, he told Frank, your teaching tops my list. You're better than the best I've seen. Many employees have indicated that it was the best wellness seminar, seminar they have attended, corporate wellness program director. Uh, people from DuPont, Paul Heck, <clears throat> one of the best approaches I've seen, easy to listen and learn from without feeling preached or threatened. So Frank's program is, is just say no, which means knowledge of alcohol's effects is, is the K. The N is never beyond your pleasure limit. The O is only with food in your stomach. And the W is water, a full glass after each alcoholic drink. And he did make a great study of uh, the, the uh, chemistry involved in, in, in alcohol drinking. Uh, so I don't want to take his, uh, his talk away. So what I'm going to do is run uh, Dr. Ron's ad that he has going on here in uh, uh, Florida about his cryotherapy. And we'll see if we can come back with Frank Polyafko. 
This is Dr. Ron Repesey of Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Spa, your place to chill at 239-658-COOL. If you've not heard of whole body cryotherapy and suffer with back pain, joint pain, arthritis, fibromyalgia, or you're an athlete that wants quick recovery from sports injuries, then come chill with us at Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Sauna. Cryospa treatments take only three minutes and are supervised by physicians. Sessions are one-on-one in a private environment. Each treatment can also burn five to eight hundred calories. As seen on Dr. Oz, Cool Cryospa is truly amazing technology. Let's hear what Dr. Kurt Biggs, a well-respected orthopedic Uh, surgeon in Naples, has to say about Cool Cryotherapy. Hi, I'm Dr. Biggs of the Joint Replacement Institute. Since I started applying the Cool Cryosauna, my patients are healing much quicker and athletes are seeing quick recovery. I recommend this procedure for my surgical patients and athletes. Call Dr. Repesey now to schedule your Cool Cryo trial session, 239-658-COOL, 239-658-2665, located at 1575 Pine Ridge Road in the Noodles Italian Bistro Plaza. Rejuvenation's Cool Cryo Spa. Come chill with us. Well, that's Dr. Ron. And uh, that three minutes of cryo, uh, you burn up five, six hundred calories. You reset your mitochondria so that you, you, get, you feel younger and you are younger. It's an incredible device that he has going on there. So while Mr. Pagliasco gets into our program, let me tell you about a show we're going to have two weeks from tonight. We will be interviewing Fred Balacci. Fred wrote a book called The Restaurant Diet. It's about how to eat out every night and still lose weight. Isn't that a great, great book? It just came out with a second edition of it. Because uh, while struggling to lose or maintain weight, many people sacrifice a lot. Their social life, their love of the good food and dining out. Of the 19 million Americans who dine out on a regular basis, 38% are overweight. But Fred says tipping the scales doesn't necessarily have to be a consequence of enjoying gourmet food in restaurants near home or abroad. There's a way to live luxuriously, become friends with food, and be healthy without having to resort to fad diets and the results that don't last with fad diets. So he's written this restaurant diet book. Uh, it's a series uh, of the healthy global gourmet. He's a, he has a restaurant. He's been he's been on all shows. He's been on Dr. Oz's show, and he'll be on this show in two weeks uh, with uh, his new book, uh, which I have someplace on my desk, but I can't find it right now. But he has a new book about eating out and. And how to feel good about yourself and to keep that weight off. He's kept his weight off now for years uh, following his own method. So that's Fred Balachi in two weeks. So ladies and gentlemen, as I told you, uh, Frank Poliafko is an educator, an entrepreneur. And what he really does is break down complicated problems and, and, and puts them in, in everyday language. So that you can understand what he's saying. Just an incredible uh, uh, person to convey ideas. And he came up with this uh, program that just blew my mind away. In fact, he blows my mind away because he's so smart. And uh, we've been friends and I just didn't realize everything that he's accomplished. So uh, before we go further, let me introduce uh, Frank Poliafko. Hi, Frank. Hi, Ronnie. Nice to be with you tonight. Thank you. Oh, my, our pleasure. 
so I talked a little bit about uh, your program before uh, you came on about what it's called and just say no. And uh, I thought maybe uh, instead of me telling them, you you you, you tell our audience uh, what, well, what's involved in this just say no program. Well, as as you may have told the audience, and I'll remind them, my, my background's in emergency nursing and emergency medical services and emergency care education. And after a career in both emergency department, nursing care and, and management, and then as director of EMS for the city of New York, I began to do training for some companies that work in isolated environments. So one of those was offshore drilling companies. And while my focus was on emergency preparedness and emergency response, one day one of the managers said to me, have you ever thought of doing anything on prevention? And I said, wow, prevention, what a concept. Because my yeah. whole career was in response. And uh, he said, we got a problem. And the problem was that these young guys, mostly, were working offshore in rigs for two and three week stints uh, and not touching the drop of liquor, hitting port and making up for it in two or three hours. Uh, so there was considerable heavy drinking, which I guess now we refer to as binge drinking. This is back towards the late 80s, early 90s. And they wanted me to come up with something to begin educating them so that they would not get so drunk when they got off the ship and go home to their wives hungover and then come back to the rigs hungover because they, they couldn't drink on board. They were, they were, there was tests. They had a blow in the tube at 0.0, but they couldn't get on the helicopter to fly offshore. And so they, but they were coming in hungover because they went out and had a couple nights of drinking before they went back offshore. And so it was a cultural thing, but it was, it was disastrous. Uh, in terms of accident rates um, and in terms of illness and, and long-term problems. Yet none of these people measured up in any way, shape, or form as alcoholics. During those three weeks they were offshore, there were no tremors, there were no shakes, there was no withdrawal, nobody sneaking. Um, so to just apply the alcoholism approach to dealing with their drinking issue didn't seem to work. So we came up with a program. Uh, I teamed up with some behavioral psychologists that we would motivate people uh, to drink less, but without saying drink in moderation, because moderation is a, a term I per purposely find, personally find distasteful. Um, we, the, the basic principle of, of behavioral psychology is consequences that are negative don't motivate people. For, for consequences have to be, to be to motivate people, they had to be soon positive and certain. And so with that dictum, we set out to talk about how do you maximize your drinking pleasure? And, of course, that immediately annoyed a lot of my colleagues in the alcohol treatment industry that I was going to enable people to drink. And I made it very clear that our program was not for people who were addicted, who were alcoholics, who cannot drink at all, period, end of story. And they need to spend a lifetime in recovery. And God bless them. Uh, many, many people are, many of my friends. Um, but the reality was that 90% of the people who got in trouble with alcohol either immediately in trouble or long-term, we're not alcoholics, and we're never going to become alcoholics. They were what I termed ignoholics. They were ignorant of the effects of this chemical. And so we set out to start to define a program based on, um, we call it drinking responsibly, but we define responsible as responding with ability. Because if you don't respond with ability, it doesn't matter what you do. You have to have the ability. And if you're just going to learn um, – by what was called uh, evolution and trial and error, that's slow, ineffective, and dangerous. You can't just learn that way. There has to be a way to learn things so that it's immediately beneficial. 
and that's what we set out to do. Uh, that learning by discovery, as we called it, was not going to be the way that people should learn. And many of us did learn by discovery. I think I've been drunk twice in my life, and I learned I can't drink like my friends were drinking in terms of the volume. I didn't have that capacity, and I paid a heavy price the next day, uh, including trips to the ER both times. And so I, I, we set out to say, what do people need to know about alcohol? Well, the first thing we need to know is why people drink. Um, the majority of us who consume alcoholic beverages drink for pleasure. We drink to feel good. And whether we call it taste or unwind or relax, uh, they're all pleasures. We drink to feel good. There's no other reason in the world to drink. Well, I drink just to be sociable. Well, what's sociable? It's, being, it's feeling good, being with other people, enjoying people's company. Um, and our premise was that once you go beyond the point of pleasure, of feeling good, you're wasting good booze. Yet, continually, we found people who would get to that point of maximum pleasure and then keep pounding down the drinks, which was of no value whatsoever. It would be equivalent to pouring 20 gallons of gas in your tank and then 10 more in the back seat. You know, you're not going to get benefit out of 10, 10 <laughs> in the back seat. Um, how do we get to that point of maximum pleasure and move forward? Um, certainly alcohol is a part of our society, it's a part of our culture, and it has since the beginning of recorded history. If you go back and look at the caveman drawings, the, the Greeks, the, the Italians, the Egyptians, alcohol was a part of those cultures. Uh, it's in the Bible. Um, it's, a, it's a reality. Alcohol is not evil. It's not demon rub, as, as Carrie Nation once told this country. Um, it's something that's very good, but it has to be used for enjoyment. And when people choose to drink, if they're not addicted, if they're not in treatment, and i got to make that really clear, anybody who's listening, if you have a problem with drinking and you're seeking uh, psychological help or you've been in, in recovery, God bless you, keep it up one day at a time, what I'm saying is not for you. There was a woman a couple of years ago, a little sidetrack here, named Audrey Kishlin. Audrey was a, a woman who wasn't an alcoholic, had been involved in AA, and decided that you didn't have to be an AA. You could live a life and drink moderately. She wrote a book called Moderation Management, and she was on all the talk shows, and she became the, the toast of the town because she was going to tell people how they could drink uh, even if they were alcoholics. Um, well, unfortunately, she didn't practice what she preached. She was in an auto accident about a year later, killed three people in that accident, and is now doing life in prison. So, mm -hmm. so much for Audrey's um, eloquent writings. Uh, it doesn't work. You can't drink moderately if you're an alcoholic, if you're, if you're addicted to this chemical. But for the rest of us, you then have to make a second choice. If you choose to drink, get drunk or enjoy it. And drunk means numb, no feelings, acting stupid, making bad decisions. Enjoy it, as I define it, is, is eliminating the negative consequences, uh, never drinking and driving or working. Just say no. I'll define no in just a minute here. Uh, optimize your pleasure. When I say no, it's spelled K-N-O-W. I don't have a picture to show you, but K-N-O-W, no. Optimize your pleasure, and you make the choice. That's enjoy. Eliminate, never drink and drive or work. Just say no. Optimize your pleasure. You make the choice. Um, and along the lines, remember the rule of life. If you make the choice, you own the consequences. You can't get in trouble because you drank and say, well, it was not, not my fault. I was drunk. You chose to drink. You're responsible. The courts have said that time and time again. Uh, as have the theologians and the ethicists. Uh, so know that there will be consequences. 
And what we want to do is maximize the positive consequences, feeling good, enjoying yourself, enjoying your friends and family, and minimizing the negative consequences, illness, injury, uh, and long-term health problems. We drink to celebrate. We drink to socialize. Uh, we drink. It, it's, it's a major part of the economy. It's, the alcohol industry is as big a part of the economy as the oil industry. Uh, it's a significant part of the tax base, which, by the way, was the number one reason they repealed the 18th Amendment, the <laughs> prohibition back, was they wanted some of those taxes, you know, that all those hoods in Chicago were collecting. They're not paying. Um, and it's part of religion. It's part of many religious services and sacraments. Uh, it's a good thing. It's not evil. Uh, there are health benefits. We know that time and time again, there have been many studies on the benefits of, of consuming alcohol. And, of course, the word moderation is always used, and that's meant in an appropriate amount. Uh, I, don't, again, don't like the word moderation in and of itself. But it is the most powerful natural medicine has been written in, in many medical journals and, and articles and studies. Um, and, and, as an aside, and, and as an aside, Frank, when I first started practicing and in, in, during my residency in the early 60s, we could prescribe spiritus fermenti, Absolutely. a dram every four hours. So we could do that. It was part of the formulary of the hospital. I remember as a young nurse bringing patients their shots and then saying they didn't want to drink alone, invited me to drink with them. Well, I was a good nurse. I want my patients to drink alone. Absolutely. You've got to uh, take care of your patients. <laughs> No, no question. It, it has phenomenal value. Um, the problem is untimely and inappropriate consumption. Drinking at the wrong time, the wrong amount, and the wrong place. I call it drinking at the wrong tap. Drinking at the wrong time, the wrong amount, the wrong place leads to a myriad of personal and social problems. Disease, crime, injury, all types of suffering, violence, failure in school, addiction, and premature death. Um, all the traditional remedies for dealing with this quote-unquote binge drinking issue or drinking beyond the capacity of that person. And everybody's capacity is different. That's a very important factor, too. Uh, none of those traditional remedies work. You know, it's a forbidden fruit. Just say no. What's the quickest way to get a teenager to do anything? Tell them say no. What's the quickest way to get a, an adult to do anything? Tell them no. It ain't going to work. Uh, disease model. It's a disease. We have to treat it. Now, sending somebody with a DUI who drank too much to an AA meeting would be like sending you and you and me, Dr. Ron, to Lamaze class by ourselves. It's not going to be <laughs> the benefit of it. Um, it. If it's not the, it's not, and it has a stigma. Alcoholism has a stigma, and 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 wrongly or rightly, it, the stigma is there. And so, people with an alcohol problem, and they're not alcoholics, they don't want to deal with that stigma. So that doesn't work. Then there's the neo-prohibitionists. Alcohol is evil. Let's get rid of it. That didn't work when they tried it back in the early uh, 1900s. What, fear, what scares me most is the permissive, especially in parents who say, well, that's just the way it is. Kids are going to drink. They can drink at my house. I'll take their keys today. I don't drive. Drinking and driving is not the only risk from consuming alcohol, especially in young people. Uh, and that permissiveness, it doesn't make sense. What we need is, is education. Uh, we need information so people can make better choices. Uh, as, as one author, Dr. David Hansen at SUNY of New York wrote, we need to change the culture. He wrote a phenomenal book called Preventing Alcohol Abuse. It's a very thin book, but it is the definitive book on changing the culture. Alcohol is part of our culture. You and I as Italians admit to that. Uh, we've had wine on the table since we were little kids. There was a bottle of wine right next to the milk. 
Uh, that's the way people were, and we got to have sips of it. It wasn't something we were made to fear. But we also learned that you had to use it in very close moderation, in very limited amounts, or you could get in trouble with it. In effect, what Dr. Hansen said is we have to change the culture by creating values. That's what people live by, their values, not rules. We, look, we find every way we can to get around the rules. That's, the limit's 50, I'm going to go 53 because they won't stop me till then. Um, you know, how, how can I push the envelope? Rules are something, again, as a, as a society and as human beings, we're really not comfortable with. What we don't change is our values. Uh, Dr. Scott Geller down at Virginia Tech gives a, an analogy of values um, versus rules and habits. Um, you get up in the morning, you got to go to work. Well, what's the first thing you do? Well, you go to the bathroom, you brush your teeth, you take a shower, you get dressed, you have some breakfast, you go to work. What if you're running late and you overslept and you got to be at work in two minutes, five minutes? Well, you may not do that morning shower, regrettably, and you're probably not going to do a lot of brushing of your teeth, and you're not going to eat breakfast. You don't have time. But one of those four things I mentioned, you will do before you leave the house, and that's called get dressed. Getting dressed in our culture is a value. As little kids, mommy said, don't, don't go outside with no bare hiney. That's not nice. <laughs> that's a value. And, and that's been proven time and time again. People, unless they're into the naturism, do not go around naked because we don't, we were trained from our youth that we shouldn't be doing that. That's a value. If we're going to deal with alcohol, we have to show it from a value standpoint. What's the value benefit? Uh, how do we combat this disease of ignoholism so that people aren't as ignorant about the, or apathetic about the chemical, its long-term and short-term effects? Well, we need to understand some basic chemistry. Alcohol is a drug. And like any other drug, it affects the brain. That's why it's a drug. It alters the chemistry and function of the human brain. And the brain is, the, as you well know, is the source of all life and all decision-making. When we drink, we change the chemistry of the brain and, therefore, its ability to function. Um, some people say, well, I only drink beer. doesn't matter what you drink, beer, wine, distilled spirits. They're all the same alcohol. Larger volume of fluid, 12 ounces of beer, one and a half ounce of whiskey, five ounces of wine, all the same amount of alcohol. It's just prepared differently. Uh, and different people, the way alcohol is processed affects different people differently. Personally, I can't drink beer. I like beer. Can't drink it. One beer, I get sick. Up a glass of wine, I'm a happy fellow. No beer. I, I learned that early on. So I gave up beer and girls, switched to whiskey and women. Uh, and I've been happy ever since. Uh, the reality is everybody's different. So people can drink more than others, have a higher tolerance. Uh, we need to learn what our body's capable of, not just try to keep up with our friends. Different people are affected differently. Uh, there are short-term effects uh, that are very pleasant, relaxing, pleasurable. It makes us more sociable, enhances taste. But immediately, there's some negative effects. It decreases concentration, judgment, vision, coordination. And we have to balance those because the more we drink, it's not the more pleasure we get. It's the more negative consequences we get. Uh, whether we drink the hard stuff, the wet stuff, the dry stuff, the more we drink, the greater the complications and the less the benefits. Uh, and why is this so important? Because it's where alcohol comes from. Um, where do we get alcohol, Dr. Ron? And don't tell me a liquor store. Where do we get alcohol? <laughs> uh, we, we get it by distilling it and, 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 and fermentation. Of what? Of biological products. Absolutely. Okay, we can't ferment bricks. We ferment biological products. 
and when those beautiful grapes that our grandfathers crushed and made wine out of, when they, when, when they crushed those grapes, what was that process that turns the grapes into wine, that beautiful French word? I love that word. You just used it. Fermentation. What a wonderful word. Oh, I, didn't word? Know, I, didn't, I didn't know I was supposed to answer. Sorry about that. That's okay. I did a rhetorical question. When biological products ferment, what happens? They're rotting. Fermentation means they rot it. Would you eat something in your refrigerator that rot it? No. How about fermented? Oh, yeah. Blue cheese is fer- has fermented. Yogurt's fermented. There's a lot of biological products and food products that have are a result of fermentation. And in limited quantities, they're quite nice. But when biological products rot, they produce toxins. Now, those toxins are not necessarily evil. You use toxins every day in your medical practice. Uh, digitalis is a toxin. Uh, penicillin is a toxin. There's a lot of toxins, and in the right amount, they're quite good. Blue cheese is a wonderful toxin. But by the third pound of blue cheese, you're not enjoying the toxin. Um, you're, you're getting toxic. So because alcohol is a toxin, we need to say, okay, how much of that poison, and it is poison, can I tolerate in my system without, with, with, and result in benefits without causing short-term or long-term harm? Well, if we don't understand that chemical fact, we can make some really bad choices. Um, so why would somebody drink a toxin? Well, I, I, I gave the answer already. We drink to feel good. I ask my classes when I'm teaching this seminar, and I've done it hundreds of times. Why do you drink? And I'll get answers like, well, because I'm Irish. Uh, or <laughs> make my date look good. Uh, you know, uh, because I can. Uh, because I can't. Whatever. They give all kinds of reasons, and I tabulate them. And it comes down to one reason, though. I drink to feel good. I drink for pleasure. And that everybody agrees with. I drink for a feeling of some degree of euphoria, of pleasure, of buzz. Um, if you're drinking because you're addicted, that's a different ballgame. Now you're drinking not to feel bad. You're, you're drinking to numb yourself. Totally different ballgame. Alcoholics have a big problem in addition to that disease and what they do when they're drinking is they're wasting good booze. They're only drinking to not have pain. That's like whacking your thumb with a ball-peen hammer and say, why do you do that? Because it feels so good when I stop. That's yeah. not why people should be drinking, so that they no, no longer feel pain. In fact, most alcoholics, most drug addicts that I've treated said to me, I reach a point where I don't get high anymore. I just don't have pain, and that is what I want, no pain. Well, that's sad. Uh, They need help. They need to get into recovery. And once detoxified, they can never drink again. Um, Now, some people drink because they're dependent on it. And they're not addicted yet, but they're on a slippery slope. We've got to be real careful. If the only way you can relax and unwind and be sociable is with a couple drinks, you may have a problem brewing. You may be headed. You might be on thin ice and headed for danger. Uh, you should be able to socialize without having a drink. Uh, alcohol should not be the only lubricant that in, allows you to socialize with other members of the species. So whether you call it taste, relax, high, socialize, we drink to feel good. The next question I ask in class is, well, how good can you feel? And people will stop and look at me like that's the weirdest question they ever heard. And the answer is, you can only feel so good. There's a point of maximum pleasure. When you reach that plateau, that satiation point, you can't feel better. It's sort of like, remember that pasta your mom used to make, Dr. Ron? Yeah, with the al dente. Oh, yeah, yeah how, was the third, how was the third plate? Oh, incredible. Not as good as the first, not as good as the first one, though, was it? <laughs> no, not, as, not yeah, exactly right. Once it, once it got soggy and, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll cook it up tomorrow and have it for breakfast, but you reach a satiation point. You know, if a chocolate eclair tastes good, the tenth one is not going to be good 15 minutes later, guaranteed. Right. We have a plateau. And so alcohol has that plateau. What's incumbent upon us is to discover how we find that plateau and stay there. Because once we go beyond that plateau, now the, the sad part is we can keep drinking. We can reach that plateau and keep drinking. We can fill our tank with 20 gallons and put 10 more in the back seat. But there's no benefit. We need to get to the beneficial level because we can only feel so good. And that plateau is measured in the brain. It's, it's a sense of pleasure and relaxation and, and feeling good. Uh, if we keep drinking, so Frank, let me, let me ask a question. Can, 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 can people learn about that, that, that their, their plateau or their maximum amount of alcohol just to feel good? Can they learn to appreciate that? Is that a learned behavior? Absolutely. And many of us do. Unfortunately, the tuition is sometimes very expensive. You know, and I've had people tell me in the place, well, you know, I figured that out. I can't drink. In fact, I use my brother as an example. At my nephew's wedding, my brother said to me, you know, Frank, I can't drink like I used to. And I said, you know, Joe, you never could, but I'm glad you figured it out. My uh, brother's not an alcoholic, but when he drank, he would get drunk. And he was a funny drunk. He, you know, he was the life of the party. But he paid for it the next day. He doesn't do that anymore. He finally figured it out. Unfortunately, his tuition wasn't too high. Because when he was younger, Big Brother took care of him, protected him. Uh, but the reality is, yeah, we can figure that out. The real trick is to get younger people to who begin to drink, and I'm talking legally drink, to begin to drink slowly. Unfortunately, on our college campuses, freshmen hit campus and they binge drink. They go well beyond their level. And last year, there were 500 and some freshman deaths from alcohol toxicity. Um there were very few upperclassmen deaths from alcohol toxicity. What's that tell us? They didn't know how to drink, and they went so far beyond that limit that they died. They literally poisoned themselves. Um, so you can get to that point. You have to be mindful as you're drinking, and not just drink because of social pressure. Oh, come on, I bought you a drink, Doc. Come on, have another one. Nah, drink. If you don't drink with me, you're not my friend. Yes, you are. I don't have to drink with you to be your friend. I don't have to drink beyond... I don't put anything in my body that I can't benefit from. Um, one of the analogies I use, some people get offended by it, but it's a very powerful analogy. Um, I ask you a question, Dr. Ron. You're out with your friend Jimmy, and you're having a couple of drinks, and you've had enough. You know you're at your limit. And Jimmy says to you, come on, Dr. Ron, have one more with me. Well, I really don't want Come on, let me buy you a drink. Well, I really don't want one, Jim. If you don't drink, you're not my friend. Would you have that drink? No. Not now, but was there, was there a time when you would have that drink? Absolutely. Yeah, yes, why? There was because a time. you didn't want to hurt your friend's feelings. Well, if that same buddy said to you, Dr. Ron, can I touch you anywhere I want? Would you let him? Absolutely not. Well, if you don't let me touch you, you won't be my friend. You start using Italian expletives. You wouldn't let him fondle your brain, your genitalia, but you let him fondle your brain. You let him put a chemical into your body that you didn't need and it immediately changed the function of your brain. And I get people to sit back in class and say, I never thought of it like that. When we go beyond that point of pleasure, there are some dangers. We make bad choices. Um, and not just, you know, the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, we're having a, a mental senior moment here, the uh, coyote ugly person oh, I met at the, 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 the two or three bagger, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, we make all kind of bad choices. 
Um, men make bad choices. Well, I thought she wanted to do it. You know, we make bad choices regarding sex. Girls put themselves in a vulnerable position. Now, as a father of two daughter and grandfather of four, I wouldn't, and I ran a rape program in Philadelphia for a year at, at a Jefferson. I would never accuse the rape victim of a crime. But the reality is being stupid is not a crime. And sometimes they do stupid things. Why? Because their judgment was affected. They wouldn't walk down a dark alley with money hanging out of their purse at night. Why? Yeah, well, if they get robbed, it's not their fault. Well, you know what? It's, it's not a crime. It's a crime to get robbed. It's a crime to be the robber, not to be the robbie. But you avoid those situations. Alcohol affects our judgment. The number one ill effect of alcohol at the moment we're drinking is our judgment. And we make decisions that are wrong. The first bad decision is I can keep drinking. No, you can't. Um, and then the second bad decision often made is well, I can drive. I've been, in my EMS career, I've been in too many accidents of drunks who didn't get killed. They killed other people, but rarely do they get killed. And so I only had a couple. I didn't think I drank that much. Well, the reality is they drank to the point where they had bad judgment. And to be able to think you can drink and then drive is really stupid. So I really applaud the uh, designated driver programs, Paul Uber programs. Those are phenomenal uh, in reducing automobile fatalities and illness and injury due to alcohol. Uh, but that's not the only problem with alcohol. If we look at professional sports and throughout society, spousal abuse, domestic abuse, almost always it involves alcohol. Almost always. Nobody in their right mind would beat somebody they loved. But under influence of alcohol, they do it. That's not to forgive them or to excuse them. They make bad judgments. So we have to get to that point of understanding. Um, and one way to do that is to set out with a plan. Uh, if you're not a drinker, if you're just starting out, have a drink. See what effect it is it has on you. Part of the plan also is to consume water. And that's something I'm also very excited about because I've been teaching this program now for 25 years. And finally, there's commercials of the, the alcohol manufacturers telling people, have a water break. Absolutely. For every alcoholic beverage you drink, consume a glass of water. Not ice water, not carbonated water, just a glass of regular cool or tap water. Because alcohol dehydrates the body. It takes fluid out of the cells. And when the biological cells are dry, they send a message to the brain, drink. What are people drinking? More alcohol. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire. It's very, you know, well, don't eat the pretzels or the peanuts. They'll make you thirsty. No, the alcohol will make you thirsty. So keep yourself well hydrated. That's part of the plan. Another very important part of the plan is never drink on an empty stomach. Alcohol is the only food substance that is immediately in, uh, absorbed in the lining of the stomach. Most absorption in, is in the digestive tract further down, not alcohol. Those alcohol molecules are small enough, they immediately go into the system. So if there's food in there, they go in at a slower rate. Don't drink on an empty stomach. That's actually foolish and dangerous. Uh, so keep yourself hydrated. Have a plan. Uh, never on an empty stomach. And stick to your limit. Know what your limit is. Tell somebody else your limit. Tell the bartender. Tell the, the waitress, you know. After you serve me two, stop. Bring me a glass of water with a straw in it. I used to do that because I couldn't drink more than two just because my tolerance was so low. And I would just drink a glass of water. And one night I had one of my clients, and we were out at a, an event with all the client, all the ship captains, and he said, that he, I heard him say to somebody, look at Frank drink those things. He's drinking those like they're water. They were. <laughs> I drank like seven or eight of them because uh, I wasn't drinking alcohol. I was tired. If I drank, I'd have been asleep on the table. So if we have this plan, if we follow the plan, 
we, we begin to take care of ourselves. And we avoid the immediate dangers, the slips, the falls, the auto accidents, the domestic violence. But there's another real pending danger that people aren't aware of, and that's called the dangers of a hangover. A hangover is not just feeling like crap. You know, it's where I'm never going to feel like that. I'm never going to drink like that again. That's not a plan. A hangover, and there's studies on this uh, in the workplace, for 72 hours is a major danger to people who go back to work. Because for 72 hours, a hangover decreases your perception, your judgment, your coordination, and your reflexes. The four major causes of accidents in every company and industry in the country is decreased perception, judgment, coordination, and reflexes. The number one accident day in most companies, the highest accident rate, is the first day back to work after a long weekend. What's that tell us? People are coming back hungover. They blow in the tube, they're 0.0. There's no longer alcohol in their system, but the effects of the toxins are in their system. And so that's why having the plan makes it possible to then go forward, and if you choose to use alcohol, you enjoy it, uh, and you minimize the risk because they're there. Uh, and why? Because when we go beyond that point of pleasure, we decrease our judgment, our defenses, our conscience, our values, our independence, and our free will. We voluntarily enslave ourselves. This country is still struggling with the concept that we enslave people, as people have been enslaved for thousands of years. Not a nice thing. In an enlightened society, we don't do that. When you drink beyond the point of pleasure, you're voluntarily making yourself a slave, and you no longer have control of your life, and that's that. And so once we understand that and we begin to put the plan together, we then can set out to use the chemical and use it wisely and for its maximum benefit. That's sort of it in a nutshell. Yeah, but that, that, that's just a great message. I mean, that, that is a fantastic message and so well put, uh, I, I just love the way you presented it, Frank. It makes so much sense. And no one talks about dehydration, even though, as you, you said, for 25 years you've known about it, how the cells dehydrate. And your brain cells dehydrate too, and your blood-brain barrier opens up, and a lot more toxins get into your brain. Uh, but you're, you're one of the few I've ever heard talk about it. And I, I applaud you for that. Thank you. There's one other medical issue I, I, went, I, did, I sort of breezed over, and that's the issue of sexually transmitted diseases. Under the influence of alcohol, people make decisions to participate in sexual activity that's dangerous. Um, and this is a statistic that blows most people's minds, that of the people who contract the AIDS disease, that alcohol makes you 25 times more likely to contract AIDS if you're subjected, if you're exposed to the virus, than if you weren't drinking. Because alcohol suppresses the immune system. And so in normal people, the immune system attacks that virus, and most of us don't get it because not a sufficient amount of the virus entered the body, whatever. The fact remains, when we drink alcohol, we decrease the benefit of our own autoimmune system. We decrease the benefit of drugs and, and, and medications that we're supposed to take. I tell people, you take tetracycline, which you're supposed to take for an infection, and you're drinking, you know what you get? Very expensive urine. Because yep. it goes right through you. It's not absorbed. So we need to understand these things. People need to be informed, not scared, always with the message. If you choose to drink, how do you get the benefits? If you choose not to drink, then you don't have to worry about it. But you still need to be able to convey that message to other people. And don't 
impress on your friends to drink. If I offer you a drink and you say no, okay, that's, I'm done. I would never keep, oh, come on, man, you've got to have one with me. Why is that hospitality? That's imposing on you. That's molesting you. So we yeah, need to be able to understand this so we become better friends, better family, and certainly better drinkers if that's what we want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we, it, it, you can still drink and be friends. No doubt about it. With no, with no one person having the power over the other. Well, really well put. Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. You are really a, an intelligent person. Jeez, that, that, that was really well put, Frank. Uh, well, uh, what I'm they say you learn, you learn from your mistakes. I'm approaching genius. I really am. <laughs> What I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and get your brochure up onto uh, with this podcast on YouTube uh, tomorrow. So uh, listeners that want to go to YouTube uh, in the next couple of days will announce it. Can see, uh, can hear uh, Mr. Poliowsko's, uh presentation, and then look at the brochure that he put together uh, about drinking alcohol. Just say no, no being spelled K-N-O-W. I think it would be good to pass on uh, to family members, uh, any, anyone that may be having a little bit of a problem. And like you said, this is not for alcoholics. This is not for addicts, uh, but for someone that may be uh, experimenting. Uh, am, am I saying that correctly, uh, Frank? Absolutely. It's, yeah, and, and one of the other key groups that needs to know this are the parents of kids going off to college. You know, we tell them, we tell our kids going off to college, you know, do well in school, be careful, don't hang around the wrong people, don't use drugs, don't drink. But we don't tell them oh, – oh, drinking is no, – let me rephrase drinking. What were we told about drinking? We were told growing up, don't drink, but do it responsibly in the same breath. Yeah. We have to show them what that means to be responsible because they're going to be exposed, uh, and there are risks in that exposure, they have to be able to take control from day one, from moment one in any situation, or they can get in serious trouble. And that trouble can impact them for the rest of their life, and their life may not last much longer. Uh, so it's a message. And it's something that parents have to teach. You know, people say to me, Frank, you ought to be doing this class for high school kids. I've tried doing that. I can't. The hook I have with people is how to maximize your drinking pleasure. I'm not going to tell a 17, 18-year-old how to drink for maximum pleasure. But there are things they need to know, because if they don't know that, it's like crossing the street. I told my kids growing up, you don't go out in that street. And if you look, if you do have to cross, you look both ways. And I knew that when they were 40 and they left the house and they were going to go out, they would look across the street. You know, I had strict rules. They had to wait till they were 40 to leave the house. Um, <laughs> but the reality is I taught them how to cross the street and then told them don't cross it without me. So we have to be able to be very stern, yet very loving, and get those messages out there so that future generations aren't impacted the way ours are. And as you know, we're seeing more and more problems with liver in seniors that's from years and years of mis misuse of their liver, because uh, that's one of the downsides of, of consuming alcohol, the liver detoxifies it. So it, it's really yeah. an informational thing. And uh, getting that message out, I'll help in any way I can. I will share with you one thing. On that brochure I sent you, that's my old brochure. I've now retired, and um, the phone number is my old phone number, so we'd have to put a new phone number in there. But other than that, it, it's, I think, information that gets people thinking. There's a lot of good books out there about sensible, responsible drinking. Um, 
and I'll be happy to share a, a, a bibliography with people if they want. But they, they clearly have to get the facts and convey the facts, live by the facts, and make sure that those they love are also aware of them. Yeah, I mean, that's a great message. I think it's a message that we, we should tell again. Uh, and maybe we can do it on a, on a Zoom broadcast where we can do it live. Uh, because I'm looking back at my notes from uh, July of 2013 when I actually did a program about wine, beer, and booze. And my f- closing was, the key isn't what you drink, it's how much you drink. Of course, I used the word you don't like. Keep it uh, to a moderate habit of a drink or two a day. And you'll enjoy all the benefits and none of the risks. But that 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 was sort of uh, uh, elementary compared to uh, your presentation, uh, which applies to a lot more people. I was just talking about health benefits, but uh, you know you can't have the health benefits if you go you go past that point. Yeah, because your liver has to get rid of it. Your liver can only get us the best liver in town gets rid of one half ounce an hour. Right. The best liver in town. Yeah, and then then we told people take Tylenol. Tylenol is so hepatotoxic; it's the number one cause of liver transplants now in the United States. Acetaminophen toxicity. You mix that with alcohol, and you know you go go put your name on the list. Oh, the potentiation is is unbelievable. Now, let's see. We got a couple people. Let's just see if anybody wants to ask any questions before we wrap it up. Uh, there is a uh, caller to 86-5686. Any questions? Fantastic. Fantastic. I love listening to every word you said, Frank. Um, I know a lot of people who are going to benefit from this, so I can't wait to pass it on. Excellent. Thank that. you. Thank you for that. I, I, he made a fantastic presentation. You know, I, I've known this gentleman for over 50 years, and uh, this this is, you know, and, and his, his, his knowledge in emergency medicine is beyond belief. I mean, treat him and treat him, Frank, you know, but uh, this this was a great in-depth uh, presentation that could help a lot of people. So, uh, Frank, thank you so much. We got, we all, we're going to have to do this again, and I think we're going to, we'll do it in a vodcast, as I have the ability to do a, do it uh, a video cast with uh, some of the new equipment I have. So uh, oh, that's great. Way, I, I have some really great illustrations that, that point out some of the things I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what uh, I'm thinking. Even your brochure, yeah. so you know, even though it's old, we could you know we could photo Photoshop that, bring it up to date. But it, this is such, such an important. I didn't realize. Uh, I mean, there's a million people in, in the chat room asking questions, and we don't have time for them. We'll, we'll get to them to the next show, ladies and gentlemen. We will do another show with uh, Mr. Polyevko, uh on on this subject. Uh, on you know, get to know, on on to know K N O W how to say no. I mean, what a, what a great great acronym. So uh, okay, I, I you know we're getting close to the hour. We could go on, but I found out. You go on too long, people lose interest, and then they don't. Uh, you, you lose, you lose it for the next show. So, I'm, I'm going to just just give uh, Frank a, a big round of applause. Thank you. And and we're going to do this again, and if he's agreeable, and we'll do it. We'll do a video part so he can show some of his uh, his, uh, his material, and um, and and. In two two weeks, we're going to have, like I say, a great chef author on about how to eat out and lose weight. 
And then the following week, I want to talk about the low-dose naloxone for chronic pain and fibromyalgia. Uh, not not really catching on because nobody's making a lot of money uh, off it because you're using such low doses of the, of the drug. Uh, and then we have uh, physicians, uh, two physicians who just wrote a book called You Can Prevent uh, a Stroke. And it's based on the uh, atrial fibrillation. It's written by Dr. Yamamoto and Dr. Thomas, uh, two, two uh, cardiologists uh, who just have a fantastic program for preventing stroke with people with heart arrhythmia problems. So we have some great uh, shows planned for you for the future. Next week, uh, yours truly will be moving his home and office and studio. So uh, we will have a rerun next week, but then we'll be back again on the 29th with uh, the chef. So again, Frank, thank you so much. Uh, really a great presentation. You, you actually blew my circuit. I really appreciated it. Thank you so, for the opportunity. All right. And good luck to uh, your, your brother, and I'll talk to you off the air. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you learned a lot. These shows now are on Alexa. They're on uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Google Play, Amazon, Apple Podcasts. And so your friends can listen to this program, uh, which is Booze and News or How to Handle Booze. And, uh, you know, then we'll we'll have a follow-up program in the near future. So thank you, everyone, and have a great night, and we will see you again next time. Ciao. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Dr. Ron Unfiltered, Uncensored, with your host, Dr. Ron. We are here each and every week. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. We bring you medical news that you can use, medical news that's up to date on drug reactions, and interpretation of medical articles. We also have some great guests scheduled. So thank you again. Have a great week. Listen to us on Apple, Alexa, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher. Ciao.